Well, it's kind of interesting to talk about communication up here when we're so cut off from the outside world. Any of you feeling it? You get a little twitch in your your uh, your phone fingers. What's going on out there? Haven't seen the news for a while, maybe. Uh, communication, though, you think about what it's been like throughout history, and it used to be so hard, wasn't it? Uh, words could go no faster than a man could run or a horse could gallop. Maybe you have a carrier pigeon or smoke signals or some way to communicate, but really, communication took a long time. It was very difficult, and now we can communicate at the speed of light, and faster does not necessarily mean better, does it? Famous people can say any fool thing on social media, and in minutes, millions have seen the message and reacted to it, and thousands more have comments, and you have all this big kerfuffle about probably nothing of any import. And how many times, for your own uh, situations, have you spoken to someone, or maybe you've posted something online, or you've texted somebody and immediately wished you could get it back? Maybe deleted a Facebook post, or... Say, don't read the, the text I just sent you. Just delete it without uh, reading it. Um, lots of times that, that can happen. And sometimes communication just doesn't happen. Words are coming out, but there's just no connection. If you ask my wife to make a list of the top 10 or 100 things that she could improve in me as a husband, but don't do that, please. <laughs> she's, she, she's a busy woman. She doesn't have time for that. Uh, she's very gracious to me, but probably a lot of those top 10 or 100 would be communication issues, wouldn't they? And I think all, all of us as married couples, and even those who are uh, not married, understand that well. And then we have another problem today that's fairly new in this generation, is young people who are, in one sense, more connected than ever with their phones. They can talk immediately at any time, day or night, but in a more important sense, they are more disconnected than previous generations. And a large part of that problem is weak relationships built on poor communication. And so much of our well-being depends on good communication, and we want to make sure we get it right, especially as believers. And to learn to communicate wisely and well, there's no better place to go than God's Word. The first point today, fairly short one, is the importance of wise communication. The importance of wise communication. And when you think about it, God is a God of communication, isn't he? If we go back to the beginning, even before the beginning, there was communication. How many of you have seen the Pinocchio movie, the old Pinocchio movie? Some people think that God is like, remember Geppetto, the old lonely man? He he makes puppets, and he makes a little puppet to and he hopes it will be a, a, a real boy because he's lonely and just wants somebody to talk to, somebody to be with. And some people think that God is like Geppetto, Heavenly Geppetto, an old man who just made creation, mankind, angels, just because he wanted somebody to talk to. But the doctrine of the Trinity shows the untruth of that kind of idea. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect communion, perfect communication before anything was created. And Jesus, as he was going to the cross and looking ahead to going back to the Father's right hand, he said, Father, glorify me with, together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The Father and Son were in perfect fellowship before the world even began. And while we're not sure when angels were created, Job 38, 7 says that the morning stars, that is the angels, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So the angels were communicating, praising God in heaven, in his presence. When God made the universe, he made all things, it says, and God said, and God said, God speaks the world into existence, the universe into existence. He speaks to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and so forth. So God speaks the universe into existence. He speaks men and women into existence, man and, man and woman, the first man and woman, and then he speaks to them and says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God gives a command not to eat of the tree to Adam. And then we have the first words of Adam recorded 
in Genesis 2.23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and so forth. The first recorded words of man were about his companion God gave him. And then, after the fall, God sought out Adam and Eve, and the Lord God did what to the man? He, he called to the man and said, where are you? And God communicates these curses, but also the promise of blessing from the seed of the woman. And as I was thinking about how God communicates in Scripture, I just kept writing and writing and writing, and I had to stop at some point. But just to give a few more things to think about how important communication is to God. We have God speaking to Abram, promising him blessings. We have God's law was given how tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments God gave. Um, God spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. God speaks in the Bible through angels, through dreams, even through writing on a wall in the book of Daniel. When God reveals his will to the prophets, what does it often say? The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. And I did a search on my computer, and over a hundred times it says the word of the Lord came to a particular prophet. And coming to the New Testament times, in John 1, 1, when the Apostle John wants to use a term to refer to the Son of God coming into the world, what's the word he uses? Good. Trick question. Yes, he uses the word word. The word was in the beginning with God. The word was God. The word came into this world. And so we have this idea of a communication from the Father to the world through the Son. And even John 1.18 says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, that is, of course, the Son, he has explained him. So the Son came, among other things, to communicate God the Father to this world. In fact, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, we saw this some months ago in the Hebrew study, says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. So God speaks to the prophets in the Old Testament, and then in the New, he does have prophets as well, but he also speaks in his Son. So God is communicating to the world through his prophets and through his Son. Communication is part of our Great Commission, isn't it? Is that we are to teach Jesus' disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded us. And you look at the book of Acts and and afterwards, the emphasis on preaching and teaching. Right away, Peter is communicating in in the temple area. He's preaching the gospel. In fact, the word gospel is good news. That's communication, isn't it? We're communicating the word of God, this this great... uh, story of God's love for us, that's the good news, that's the gospel. We look to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we have this charge and this description of the church. It says, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And think of the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and it's not exclusively a teaching or communication Role, but how much of the work of these these men uh, through which Christ builds his church are is built on communication? And of course, God calls us to communicate with him in prayer. God speaks to us, we speak to God in prayer and in praise. Even creation speaks. In Psalm 19, 1 and 2, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So even as we're in this beautiful forest, it's speaking to us without words of the greatness of God. Romans one twenty, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So God communicates his power and his nature to us through his nature. That he has made. And someday we'll all go to be with Christ and have perfect communion with the triune God forever. We're not going to be up in heaven standing around staring at each other, 
but we will indeed be communicating with each other through eternity. As scripture likens heaven to a feast. Now, some of you have had feasts, maybe Thanksgiving, with some relatives that you aren't particularly on good terms with. You sort of sit in stony silence while you eat your turkey. <laughs> but feasts in these days, and what should be feasts, are times of great fellowship. Not just the good food, but good times together, uh, laughing, uh, enjoying, uh, speaking to one another in, in a great loving fellowship. That's what heaven will be like for us. Not just the blessings of food, but the blessings of fellowship forever. So communication is everywhere in Scripture. In fact, Scripture is communication, isn't it? It's God's word to us. And so if communication is so important to God, it should also be important to us. Well, turn with me to to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a great place to learn about wise communication. It is, after all, the book of wisdom about so many things. And I did a search uh, in Proverbs as well, and I saw that it uses the term word or words more than 25 times, mouth more than 45 times, lips more than 30, the tongue 18 times, speak or speaking nine times. And so Proverbs speaks of communication so many times. And what I've done is I've just uh, gone through Proverbs and, and gleaned a number of verses, not all the verses. In fact, you might notice as I go through the, the, the outline here, uh, I'm going to skip over some of these verses, so hopefully you can look at those later. But there's lots I, I've left uh, for another time, perhaps. But so many things that God will teach us through the book of Proverbs, I want to look at them briefly. Uh, it's going to be a little unusual for a sermon. I'm going to kind of go broad rather than deep, and I, I trust maybe, again, in days to come, you'll be able to take some time. To check off ones that really speak to you, things that maybe convict your heart or you think require further studies. Um, not necessarily the ones that you think your husband or wife should take care of. Maybe there's time for that as well, uh, a gentle reproof, perhaps. But focus on w- what this is saying to you and how God can help you communicate better, more righteously in the future. And it may feel like a laundry list or like we're, uh, there's a fire hose coming at you and you're drink, trying to drink from it. But just try and uh, fill out some blanks, check, check some boxes, and just meditate briefly as I go through this and and, th- and think more about it in, in the days to come. Also, it may be hard to turn to every verse as I'm giving them to you, so if you want, just listen as I read, and I think that will be sufficient. But having said that, let's turn to our next point, is the call to wise communication. In this case, do turn to Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses here, so it will be help to, helpful to see them. Proverbs chapter 8, the call to wise communication. And I could read this whole chapter, Proverbs 8. There's something similar in chapter 1 and elsewhere where wisdom is likened to a woman who is calling to someone. And let's just look at these eight verses of Proverbs 8 and see what it says about wisdom and how she calls to us. Proverbs 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On the top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. So imagine somebody who's standing at the, at the gate of a city. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness, and there is nothing crooked or perverted in them. So wisdom calls out, lifts up her voice. It says, listen, understand, pay attention. I will say right things. I will not say wrong things. I will say good things, not wicked things. Listen to what I am saying. And the key to gaining wisdom is listening understanding and then doing what wisdom says. So as we look at the Proverbs today, that will give us wisdom to live in a way that will honor God. So that's the call to wise communication, Proverbs 8. Let's now look at the way of wise communication. The way of wise communication. This will take up most of our time this morning. And while we may say that communication is a two-way street, in practice, and I'll just speak for myself here, we tend to focus on what I want to say, what I want to communicate. And since that's obviously most important, right? At least 
far too often it is for me, and I'll confess that now. Most of the things we'll talk about from the book of Proverbs, though, happen before you open your mouth. And so, before you are ready to communicate, be communicated upon, if I can put it that silly way. Make sure God communicates to you first before you communicate yourself. And so the first point I want to say here is is this little word, be. B-E. Who you are affects what you say. So you need to be a few things. First of all, be righteous. Be righteous. Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. And we need to make sure that we have our heart right before we speak any words. So we want to be righteous. And Jesus said, of course, Matthew twelve thirty four, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Our mouths are not automatic machines. They speak what our heart tells them to speak. And Solomon uses strong words here. The perverted or the twisted tongue will be cut out. Maybe the Lord, in a, a spiritual sense, will, will punish someone who speaks perverted things or someone in authority who doesn't want to hear the words from the unrighteous. This would literally happen, of course, in ancient times, even today. People have their tongues cut out because of what they say. The very next verse, verse 32, Proverbs 10, says, The lips of the righteous... Bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. So we have the mouth, tongue, lips, mouth. All these terms referring to what we say, how we say it. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, what's fitting. And so we have this pleasant speech versus the mouth of the wicked bring forth what is perverted. It's twisted. So be righteous. Next, be humble. Be humble. Proverbs 27.2, you might know this one. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Now there are many verses against boasting, against pride. We saw one in James 3, verse 5 says, The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And James 4.16 says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Matthew Henry put it well. He said, self-praise defiles the mouth. Self-praise defiles the mouth. Proverbs 30, 32 says, If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth. So we might say today, zip it. If you are exalting yourself, if you're plotting evil, close your mouth. Put tape over it. Put your hand over your mouth so you will not say those wicked things. So be righteous, be humble. Next, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Proverbs ten thirteen, or eleven thirteen rather, says this: He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy, that is faithful of spirit, conceals a matter. And here's a picture of literally a talebearer takes stories from place to place. You're never going to guess what I just heard. And so you say that to somebody else, and they say it to somebody else. And before you know it. The whole town knows, or the, the whole internet knows what you know, because you have told that tale. So we want to make sure that we are instead trustworthy, or faithful of spirit, we conceal a matter. So we don't want to gossip or slander, even showing restraint in speaking the truth. You might say, well, this is true what I said. doesn't make it right, doesn't make it not gossip, doesn't make it slander, uh, not slander, I should say. Be careful even how you speak the truth. Never speak a lie about somebody else, but be careful about how you speak the truth as well. So be righteous, be humble, and be trustworthy. Next, we want to make sure as we try to walk in the way of wise communication that we do walk. We do walk. In Proverbs 13.20, this has to do with who we're walking with. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So just by spending time with wise people, it tends to lead to wisdom. It rubs off on you, but if you, on the other hand, spend time with fools, you're going to become 
foolish. You're going to become a fool yourself. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And since I've mentioned the fool just now, the fool is everywhere in the book of Proverbs. And a fool, in this case, is not somebody who's mentally deficient, but who is spiritually deficient. Not, not mentally stupid, but morally stupid. And so we want to stay away from those who are morally stupid. We have an example of, a negative example of, of this walk in Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. And if you older folks, when you were maybe in school as a kid, and you, maybe you were, you're a good kid, but you saw the kind of bad kids, and you wanted to be perhaps part of the in-group, the, the, the cool group, the, the edgy group, and you, we don't want that desire. There's that, we understand that. We understand we want to be in the, the cool group, but don't desire, it says, to be with evil men, even, even evil children. Stay away. Make sure your companions are those who are, are good, who are pursuing God. And that temptation to be with the cool kids doesn't go away as an adult does necessarily. It can be uh, attractive to be with those who are, who are walking away from God but we want to make sure that we walk with those who are following God. Don't desire, don't be envious of evil men. Don't desire to even be with them. A Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. Or gossip here is translated from a term that means one who opens his lips. One who opens his lips in, in a bad sense. So if you hang out with gossips, you end up being part of the, the gossip process, the slander. You're, you're associated with the mischief that they cause. So we want to just avoid those who spend their time gossiping, whether it be in person or online for that matter. Well, next we want to learn. We walk, now we learn. Proverbs 10.14 Wise men store up knowledge but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. So wise men store up knowledge, they gather it up, and they store it for the appropriate time. And if you have this knowledge stored up, then it will protect you from ruin. And it says here, with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. That is, either for the fool is going to be ruined himself, or everywhere a fool goes, those who are with the fool get ruined as well. There's there's trouble for a fool and those who associate with the fools. Now, Proverbs 10.8 says that the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. You know what a babbling brook is. It's kind of a noisy brook. This is a babbling fool. He just keeps saying foolish things again and again. He never quiets down. He never closes his mouth. And so the wise person receives commands. He gladly listens and receives and applies what he hears, but the fool talks too much. In Matthew Henry, I'll quote him again, those that are full of tongue seldom look well to their feet and therefore stumble and fall. Any of you read the old Garfield cartoons? Remember Odie the dog? What was his thing? His tongue was always hanging out. Always, and he, I think sometimes he'd just sort of trip over his tongue because it was so long. He was a short little dog and his tongue would hang down to the ground. Funny picture, but... There are those whose mouths are like that. Their tongue is always out. And if your tongue is, is always out and, and it's so long, you're going to tend to trip over it. You're going to stumble and fall because of your, your long tongue. On the other hand, we have Psalm 119, 131, where the psalmist says, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. We have this picture, I, I think, of a hippopotamus. You ever see the videos of hippopotamus? They'll, they'll throw in a watermelon or some giant thing. They open this huge mouth. And that's how we, we want to be. <laughs> we want to be hippopotamuses? I don't know. For God's word, for God's commands. We open our mouth wide for God to fill it. And that's a kind of a funny picture. But how much are we desiring to have God fill our mouth? You ever get a, a, a big burger, a big sandwich, and you just have to open your mouth wide to eat that thing? We want to open our mouths wide to receive God's commandments. 
in Proverbs 18.2, related to this idea of learning. A negative example, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. We want instead to learn first, then speak. We delight in understanding, and then we say what we have learned. Understanding and, or wisdom should be our great pursuit, but a fool doesn't want it. The fool spews out whatever comes into his head. He thinks he has something worthwhile to say and loves to hear himself saying it. So don't be like that. Learn first, then speak. In fact, there are many ways to learn. There's one is to study God's word, but we also learn from something uh, that's very helpful as well. The next point is learn from reproof. Learn from reproof. And I have eight verses listed here. I'm going to omit a few of them just for time. But we're not just learning in an academic sense, but we have another perhaps more painful way of learning, and that is by reproof. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. How many of you love discipline? Love, love to have somebody call you out. Love to have somebody say, you really messed up. You were sinning right there. Anybody really love that? <laughs> I don't. Um, but this verse says, if you love discipline, you love knowledge. If you want to be knowledgeable about God's word, sometimes it's going to have to come through painful reproof. And if you hate that reproof, if you reject that reproof, you are stupid. Now, that word is not a Douglas word. We tell our kids, don't use that word when they're kids, but the Bible sometimes uses it. It's hard to explain to kids sometimes why it's okay for the Bible to say it, but not for them. But if you hate reproof, if you reject reproof, you are stupid. Hebrews 12.11 says this, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the discipline hurts for now. It's not joyful, but it will lead you to a place where you have righteous fruit in your life. This term stupid here, I mentioned, is used often of animals. Animals who just have no sense. They, they do whatever comes into their their fool heads. You don't want to be like a, a stupid animal by hating reproof. Let's skip ahead to Proverbs 13.1 on this topic of reproof again. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. A wise son or daughter accept his father's or mother's discipline. If I may elaborate a bit on that. A scoffer, though, does not listen to rebuke. And so sons and daughters, listen to your fathers. And fathers and mothers, discipline your sons and daughters. It's a responsibility for parents as well. Not to let our children do whatever they want, but to rebuke them and to to show them the right way. And if we do that, we'll be like God, won't we? Because Proverbs 3.12 Quoted in Hebrews later, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And so, for fathers who don't reprove their sons, you may think it's loving, but it's not. You need to correct your son if you love him or your daughter, just as the Lord does for us. Another proverb here, 19 verse 27, says, and I'm going to paraphrase it a bit, but it says, If you stop listening, my son, to discipline, you will stray from the words of knowledge. If you don't listen to discipline, you will stray from the words of knowledge. We came up this road here, kind of windy road, and you have the some some drop-offs, don't we, some places. And you have have those yellow lines that kind of get you to to steer around and and not go off into the trees or off into the the down the hill and into a ditch. Discipline and reproof are like guardrails or like lines to help you in your walk, to guide you on the path. 2 Timothy 3.16, I think we all know this, says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So if you have discipline, if you have reproof, it keeps you in the narrow path that God has led led us, us in. One more set of verses on this idea of loving reproof is Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, one of the the best verses, clearest verses on this topic. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And if you had a friend who was standing next to a cliff, just goofing around and not paying attention, would it be loving for you to say, nah, it's all right, 
What's, what's the loving thing to do in that case if they're in danger? Yes, you, you, you help them, you, you warn them of what, where they're going. They're about to step off that cliff. They're about to hurt themselves. It's not loving to watch a friend fall off a cliff. It's also not loving to watch a friend fall into sin or into foolishness. And it's hard to do sometimes that we must do it. And these wounds of a friend do hurt, but they're not blows to injure you, but surgery to heal you. And if you had an important surgery, removing maybe a, a, a tumor or some other, some other thing that really needed fixing, do you yell at your surgeon for hurting you? <laughs> Hopefully not. Usually you don't. You thank them for helping you. Even though it may be painful, you need to have that pain in order to correct the problem. And another thing for me and, and for you men in particular to, to think about here, that this faithful are the wounds of a friend. Men, you need to listen to your wives. And I, I know all of you here, some, some better, some worse, but you men have wise wives, and you can be thankful for that and be open to rebuke from them. I've heard of men in the past who have told their wives maybe some misguided idea of Submission, perhaps. If you see me in sin, don't tell me. Just pray for me. That's about the dumbest thing any man could do. Okay? Because your wife is the closest person to you, hopefully. She sees your, hopefully, your good points, if you have any. If you have any flaws, she sees them as well. And your wife can be the greatest help and sanctification in your life because she sees those areas where you are straying and she may tell you, you really blew it there, or I see this straying on your part. What a blessing that is. It doesn't feel good, but it's, it's so useful. And it's happened more times than I would like to admit, but it's always useful to me. And I'm, I'm grateful for that rebuke. Um, and so don't shut off, man, that, that, that great um, channel of sanctification for you. Don't let your pride get in the way of sanctification. That can happen so easily. Where you feel like, I'm the king of the house. Nobody tells me what to do. That That's just setting yourself up for some a big fall. Another thing, as, as we think about this idea of open rebuke and the, the wounding uh, friend who's doing this out of faithfulness to you, um, sometimes the rebuke isn't always done in the right spirit. And if you are rebuked by somebody who is unrighteous, who does it in an unloving way, that may hurt more than it ought to. It may not be even a, the wounds of a friend. It might be the wounds of an enemy. But if I'm rebuked by a, a non-Christian and they're right, I shouldn't get defensive. I shouldn't complain about them. I shouldn't turn it back on them and say, well, you're worse than I am. You say, you know what? You're right. I need to repent of that. God is going to even use unrighteous people to speak the truth to me to rebuke me, to help me to become more like Christ. And so don't just dismiss rebuke or get defensive. Take it to heart. If there's any truth in it at all, now we can all be accused unrighteously, but if there's any truth in it at all, accept it and be thankful to the people and be thankful to God for using that, even a a crooked tool in your life to help draw a straight line. Now, that's learning from reproof. Walk, learn, next discern. Discern. Proverbs 10.13 says, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. So on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. And this word discerning is somebody who has understanding, somebody who's perceptive. And we see this, remember when God asked, told Solomon, ask me anything you want. You want riches, you want long life. And Solomon wisely said in 1 Kings 3.9, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. So Solomon wanted discernment, understanding, this, this sort of heart to discern good and evil. And that's, that's wisdom, that's uh, being perceptive, understanding in a way that you can see this is good and this is evil. And the way we learn that is God giving us that heart, and he does that through his word. We can also think of the Bereans. Acts 17, verse 11 says that these Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That is, the, the preaching of Paul 
they wanted to make sure that it was in line with the Old Testament. So they would examine the Old Testament and say, well, is Paul speaking the truth here? And we need to do the same thing. And if I'm up here talking, don't just receive it necessarily. I, I try to be faithful to God's word, but I'm not always right. And if I say something that's wrong, you can let me know or, or explain to me why you think it's not right. But as we understand God's word, it, we help our, our minds to discern what's right and what's wrong, to discern between good and evil. And so when we have this understanding, this, this perception, it gives us wisdom, and we can now speak that wisdom to others. So discern. Next, we want to listen. We want to listen. And there are a few on this topic, and I'll, I'll skip a couple of them as well. But listen to Proverbs eighteen thirteen. It says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame to him. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame to him. We talked before about humility. It shows humility and wisdom to listen first. You, it's easy for me, I'll speak for myself, have talk, somebody's talking to me, maybe a child when they were younger, be trying to explain something, and I just say, no, you be quiet, listen to me. But, I would often speak before I listened, and that was to my shame. It says it's a folly and a shame to him. A father who doesn't hear what his child's trying to say in certain circumstances, it's a folly. And I would often hurt my children because they would have an explanation for something they were doing, and I would get upset at them. But they they had a, a just case, let's put it like that. And it was a shame to me, it was a folly to me to say things to my children without listening to them first. So don't give an answer before you hear. Listen first. Another useful verse in these days is Proverbs eighteen seventeen. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and answers him. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. It's such a big issue today. Maybe you're on, you're watching something on the news or in the newspaper online. You hear one side, somebody says, look at what so-and-so did, whether it's Trump or Biden or whoever, and, and don't want to be uh, partisan here, but there's always uh, an issue comes up, and somebody will complain about it online, and you get a, a million angry comments, and I'm going to forward this to my senator or congressman or whatever, and, and people get all wound up, and then you read the, the rest of the story, and it's just it's nothing. Or there, there's some, some fact that's been omitted that would change the way that you should understand this issue. And so... We want to be, as Christians, be very careful about how we get angry about things, make sure we hear both sides, make sure that we listen carefully. We don't want to be telling half-truths, even though we think it's from a trusted source. Oh, well, they've always said the right things in the past, so I'll just forward this, or even liking or, or retweeting or reposting something can get you in trouble that way. Um, it's important to have both sides be heard, just as in, a court of law, you don't just get a prosecution, you also get a defense. And each side can cross-examine the other. We want to get both sides in other situations. If it's a dispute between our kids or or other situations, maybe in the church or in, in family, at work, you need to hear both sides. It's only fair for both to get a chance to express what what their side of the story is. And so we don't want to be foolish we want to hear both sides as as we examine the situation. Um, a negative example of this listening, or rather not listening, uh, listening to the wrong kind of people, Proverbs 13, 17, verse 4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. And so we want to be careful listening to wicked or destructive words. Just don't listen to it. Not just actual speech, but... Any form of communication that's, that's evil, we don't want to listen to that sort of thing. We don't want to let that affect uh, how we think. We don't want to hear these lying words. We don't want to pay attention to a destructive tongue. So walk, learn, discern, listen. Next, think. Think. Notice we haven't said anything yet. We're still learning. We're still growing but now we're thinking. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So we need to ponder. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Think of how to answer properly 
and righteously. Um, you want to speak, then think? No. Think, then speak. I have to tell myself that often. Don't react first. Think first, and then react. Proverbs 16.23 says, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Of course, we saw before Jesus said, it's from the heart the man speaks. But it's interesting in this verse, it says, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth. So if your heart is right, if you're wise, you're teaching your mouth what to say, in effect. It's almost like your mouth is a separate thing. It's your, your wise heart is teaching. Mouth, say this. Mouth, don't say that. So it's, it's instructing. It's guiding the mouth. It's, and then it's helping persuade. It adds persuasiveness to his lips. Or learning is another translation. So our heart, our wise heart, instructs our mouths as we speak. So that's, that's the thinking part. Remember, the heart is not so much the, your feelings, it's your, your mind. We better, better maybe to say in this case, the, the mind of the wise instructs his mouth to think. Now, still not quite ready to talk. Next is restrain. Restrain. Notice there are ten verses under restrain. <laughs> so a lot of restraint. I won't go through them all. But just a few. Proverbs nineteen or ten nineteen. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is right, wise. Again, think, then speak. He who restrains his lips is wise. James one nineteen says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen, be slow to speak. Proverbs thirteen verse three. The one who guards his mouth, remember sort of the idea of your hand over your mouth, preserves his life. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So your mouth needs a bodyguard, like a hand. In this case, it's your good sense. Guard your mouth. Um, you don't let any old thing come into your mouth. You're careful what you eat, don't you? Uh, but the picture here, again, is opening wide your lips. We talked before about the hippopotamus. You're opening your mouth wide to receive God's word. That's the wise person opens wide his mouth to receive. The fool opens wide his mouth to speak. You can see the sort of funny picture. Somebody has so many words, like I do sometimes, uh, get tongue-tied. But you have so many words to speak, you have to open your mouth so wide to say it. Your mouth is always open wide, always uh, spewing out what you have to say, even though it's foolish. And it says here, the one who opens his mouth wide, his lips wide, comes to ruin. You talk too much, you open your mouth up, you come to ruin. A Proverbs 17.28 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. It's a more modern take on this. It says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Right? So, if you are foolish, at least be wise enough to keep your mouth quiet and not let people re- realize how foolish you are. The Proverbs 20, verse 3. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. I think many of us, including myself, should probably get this printed out and write it down on a post-it note, put it next to your computer screen before you get on Facebook or Twitter. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. We don't want to get drawn into arguments. And every fight on the internet does not have to be our fight. You ever seen that cartoon? This guy's been up all night on the computer, and somebody says, what are you doing? He said, somebody has a wrong opinion on the internet. And it's his job to fix everything. Well, it's not your job is to fix every wrong thing on the internet. Um, and it's, again, a temptation for all of us have to, to fix things. But we don't need to be drawn into everybody's quarrel. Um, there's a, a, a problem I didn't write it down here, but the, the one taking a dog by the ears, it's one who get, well, how does it go, is, is the one who, who gets involved in a quarrel, not his own. You go, it's, um, I, I guess probably some of your big dogs around here wouldn't like it if you grab them by the ears. It's not a good thing for, to grab a dog by the ears, but that's a foolish thing to do. If you're going to arguments, it's not your own. It's like grabbing a dog by the ears, and you, you deserve the trouble that comes to you. And Proverbs 17.14 says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. You think of a, maybe a leak in a, in a dam. 
a little drip, but as the, the quarrel, the, the, the strife keeps happening, the water keeps coming and coming before you know it, you're, you're inundated with this water. So just abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. If people are going to fight, let them deal with it. It doesn't have to be your problem. Uh, one last verse on restraint is Proverbs 29.20. Rather. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So plain old fools may learn to be wise, but the kind of person who is hasty in his words is a kind of super fool. If you're a regular fool, you can learn to be wise. If you're so hasty with your words, you will never learn to be not foolish. So listen first, restrain yourself if you want to be not foolish, uh, and that that will uh, lead you in a good place. All right, so we are finally nearly ready to speak, but first, one more thing. The next one, quiet down. Quiet down. This next verse is very important this morning. Proverbs 27, verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. I think Tom mentioned a, a guy uh, who was who was like this uh, in India, who would first thing in the morning, bless you, bless you, and it's five in the morning, and you don't want to necessarily hear that. You could maybe say it even quieter, but uh, we want to be careful about how even we, we can say good things in a bad way and brings cur- bring curses upon ourselves. Um, Turn with me to Proverbs 26, verse 4, because we're going to look at a couple of verses here, uh, separated by a little bit of time. Proverbs 26, verse 4 says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. And the idea here is that don't answer a fool in a foolish way. So if somebody says something foolish to you, the, the temptation is to strike back at them, to answer with unrighteousness, or with slander, or pride, or haste, to answer them in a foolish way, or stoop to their own level. If there's a fool who's attacking you, don't be a fool in responding to them. So, that's quiet down. So now, if you've taken all these things to heart, your heart is righteous, you're humble and trustworthy, walking with and learning from the wise, you're immersed in God's word, you're a learner, you gladly accept reproof, have a discerning mind, and you're a careful listener, you think before you speak, you restrain your lips, and most importantly, you don't talk loudly until everyone's had their coffee in the morning. Now you're ready to talk. Is coffee ready? It was late this morning. That's probably where you should be quiet for a while, maybe until after I'm done talking here. So, now that you are ready to talk, you might want to say, I'm going to go become a monk someplace. You know, those Trappist monks who can't talk for years at a time because it's so dangerous to talk or to communicate. But we can't not talk, can we? We can't not communicate. So what do we say now that we've done all these things? Well, if you are doing all these things, you can pretty much say whatever you want, can't you? Because you're constrained by what's, what's righteous, what's good, what's fitting, what's wise. And there are many commands in Scripture about what we are to say and how we're to say it and Tom and Brett have talked about some of them in the last couple of days. But just very briefly, to God, we speak to him in prayer and praise. Uh, To others, we can have verses like we talked about the other day. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Uh, it's parallel, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage each other day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we encourage each other, we, we speak gracious words to each other, we exhort each other, encourage them. But now we have just a couple more things we should say from Proverbs, and that's the last point here under the way of wise communication, and that is to speak up. Speak up. Very last bit of this section, after all these admonitions, now we can speak. Speak up. And we are in Proverbs 26. We read verse 4 earlier. 
do not answer a fool according to his folly. Verse 5 says, answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be not wise in his own eyes. Now, some have trouble with this verse because it seems to contradict the previous one. But it makes sense to understand this verse here as speaking to a fool in a way to point out his folly. He thinks he's wise, but he's not. So if there's a fool, you speak to him not foolishly, but speak to him wisely and by God's grace. And if you do that and he receives it right, he won't be wise in his own eyes. We want to make sure that we're loving towards this fool. Don't necessarily call him a fool, right? Jesus had words to say about calling people fools. But you can just say, you know, I, I see you're, you're following a, a bad path. Let me help you, if I may, to avoid that. You want to be arrogant to them, but loving to them and showing them the, the foolishness of, of their situation. Another couple of verses that are important, I think, in this idea of what we are to speak up about. Proverbs 31, verse 8 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. And verse 9 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Now, these are words to a king, but they are appropriate to us as well. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. So we as Christians can speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And, and So it could be, if you're a kid, you see another kid being bullied, you can help them out, who are unable to speak for themselves, able to defend themselves. Um, there are those who are bullies in grown-up life too, right? And we can help those who are being bullied, who are being uh, hurt, who are being damaged, and to open our mouth for those people who can't speak for themselves. Well, I think I will stop there. There's this, The last section is the way to wise communication. I, I hate to say this is where to go and not give you a, a ride there, a way to get there, but I think we can finish this up tonight. But if you want, I can give you the last five points. Uh, the way to wise communication, if you can't be here for later. The first one is determine. Determine, then pray, then study, then guard, then love. Determine, pray, study, guard, and love. And I'll try and get to these more tonight. But hopefully this has encouraged you to communicate wisely. It's a, a blessing to be able to communicate with each other. But how much more if we can be wise in the way that we approach these things. And may God give me and, and you all the grace to communicate better in the days to come. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this look in your word. There are so many things to say and could have said many more things. Your word is full of wonderful communication to teach us and to guide us in the way that you'd have us go. We pray this brief look this morning would help us. May we take away a few things that really prick our conscience. May we, in the days to come, find ways by your grace to improve the way we communicate, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act. In all these ways, may you be glorified in us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.